Well, again, it is wonderful to see many of you. Actually, it's wonderful to see all of you. You, it wasn't you. It wasn't you, it was me. <laughs> My name's Jameson. You can send the complaints to Jameson at ChristianCovenantFellowship.com. No one, no one sifts through that except me. Um, it is a joy to serve as one of your pastors, and this morning we continue this short three-week mini-series in the book of Psalms, and here's why we're looking at three Psalms over three weeks. As the elders and I have continued to meet with you all and pray for you, we felt just this need to address some shared common pastoral burdens that seem to be frequent and regular in our lives together. Uh, And so instead of us giving you our words, we wanted to expose you to God and His word, and that's what the Psalms speak so aptly to, the very real struggles that we face in life. Last week we heard about suffering, what God had to say about suffering. Today we hear what God has to say about our anxieties, our fears. And so if you have not yet opened your Bible, I invite you to open it up. There's one under your chair if you don't have one. Feel free to take that home with you if you want. Open up to Psalm 56. I'd love for you to follow along with us as we make our way through the psalm. And as I think it's 476, of the page 476 in the Bible is under your chair. Um, I'm going to pray for us one more time as we look to God and His Word. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can run to a God who speaks deep peace to every single one of our fears. Lord, we thank you that we can gather and we can hear you. You proclaim these promises, these words that our hearts and our souls need to hear. They long to hear. And so I ask in this moment, over this time together, that regardless of whatever suffering, anxieties, concerns, whatever things are occupying our calendars and our thoughts, that we would lay those down in order to hear from you. God, we need your voice and your words more than we need our own. And so I do ask, Lord, that your spirit would lead and guide me to say only what would make most of Jesus, that the words that glorify him would sink deeply into people's hearts and in my heart as well, and that everything else would just fall to the floor and we'd forget it. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be leading and guiding our hearts collectively to hear and then store up and then savor and follow Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Lord, I I pray that your word would be our ultimate rule. I pray that your glory would be what we're most concerned with and that your son would be our ever-increasing joy, all because of your spirit teaching us. We ask all these things. In your son's powerful name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's get real. What are you most afraid of? I know, I know. Good morning to you too. What, what, seriously, what are you most afraid of? And I'm not, I'm not asking you to just think of like the snakes and spiders kind of fears. Like if you're a city person, you move here and that's like what you think about all the time. Not just that. What are you afraid of to the point that it keeps you up at night? What are you afraid of to the point that when no one else is asking you and there's nothing else to do at the end of a day and it's just you and silence and the Lord, what comes to mind? What are you you crying out to God with and asking Him for? I know you're thinking, chill, Jameson. You're like 30 seconds into the sermon. I already want to leave. (laughs) Church isn't where I'm supposed to talk about my fears. 
Well, actually, the reason we're looking to Psalm 56, and I'm asking you these questions, is because this is the perfect place to bring your deepest fears. And here's why. All of our deep fears, they need a powerful peace. And the only place, the only one that we're going to hear that sort of peace from is from the God who has defeated the fear underneath the greatest of all fears, death itself. And because he has defeated death, he has a powerful word for your fear and my fear. And so we turn to Psalm 56. See, Psalm 56 is like the prequel to Psalm 34, what we heard last week if you were here. We heard David tell us that we should taste and see that God is good, even when things are bad, even when suffering hits. And he's writing in light of 1 Samuel chapter 21, this real event of suffering where he's on the run from Saul. He's being pursued and doesn't know if he's going to make it or not. But Psalm 34 is David writing on the other end of deliverance. He's saying, okay, God brought me through. Here's what suffering should look like. Psalm 56 is not that at all. Psalm 56 is reflecting on the same event, but it's mid-fear. He's still in prison. He's being held by King Achish. He's in Gath, that foreign city. And he's being held and eyed up by all of his worst enemies. Gath is the hometown of Goliath, the dude he just killed with the slingshot. If ever there were a place where he would at least expect a warm welcome, it was this city. And so here here he is, a foreign land, a foreign king, in prison, surrounded by foreign enemies. And you better believe he's waking up in the middle of the night. (laughs) You better believe he's probably sweating bullets at the end of the day. I don't even know if I'm going to live tomorrow. David was a real guy. David had real fears, just like you and I did, and David needed a real God who could speak peace to his fears, and that's what Psalm 56 is all about. That's who Psalm 56 is all about. It's not about David. It's about the God who conquers our fears. And so David's big idea for you and for I and for his own heart is simply this. Fight fear with faith in God's word. Fight fear with faith in God's word. And before you look at me and say, well, that's real simple. Way to take the easy way out. I think what you're going to hear David commend us to do is actually going to make a difference in your life and my life. And what David says is the way we fight fear with faith in God's word is, first and foremost, we confess our fears to God. We bring them to the Lord. Second, we count on God in his word, his promises. And then third, we continue in faith. Confess your fears, count on God, and continue in faith. Fight fear with faith in God's word. Let's begin in verse 1 to 7 as we look at what it means to confess our fears openly and honestly to God himself. Please follow along with me in verse 1 to 7. I want you to see that these are not my words. These are God's words whose we need more than mine. Confess your fears. Be gracious to me, O God. Listen to who he's talking to. For man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies, they trample me all day long, for many attack me proudly. You ever feel like that in the midst of your fears? Here's what David says. When I am afraid, not if I am afraid, it's all right to be afraid. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. 
What can flesh do to me? All day long, they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps. They've waited for my life. For their crime will they escape. And wrath cast down the peoples, O God. How are you doing today? Question you probably got asked on the way in, right? And your answer usually depends on how much you trust that person, right? <laughs> how are you doing? Well, today was the worst morning ever, but I'm going to tell you I'm doing all right. (laughs) I'm going to put my smile on and grin and bear it. What if your husband or wife asks you that question? How are you doing today? I'm going to tell you everything. David is speaking to God. It's as though he's bringing his petitions and his fears to God because he knows that God wants him to bring those to him. And so verse 1 tells us this is not just a happy, clappy, false stoicism approach to fear. This is honest. I'm going to answer to the God who made me and knows every one of my fears. Listen to how he starts. No pretending. Be gracious to me, O God. David cries to God. He's not crying to his pillow. He's not crying to his self-help book. He's not pretending. This ain't hard. And then he gets real honest with God about how hard it is. Listen to his honesty one more time. Man tramples on me. All day long the attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample me. A second time he says that. All day long they attack me proudly. The words he uses are warlike language. Trample twice. It's like the running of the bulls in Spain where people just get crushed underfoot. And he says, all day long an attacker oppresses me, like squeezing in on every side of me, like someone squeezing the juice out of an orange. And it's relentless. Look at verse 5. All day long, all day long, no break. They injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. It means they're like twisting his words, misrepresenting him. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps. They've waited for my life. Endless, comprehensive, plural onslaught of enemies against him. He doesn't know where the next wound's coming from. And so he's afraid. He's afraid. Does your inner monologue ever sound like this in the midst of your fears? All day long, my boss is out for me. Every single one of those people on my street at my family gathering in my office, they're against me. They're oppressing me. No matter what, they're misrepresenting me. Taking my words and twisting them, making me look worse off than I am. Why should we confess our fears? Because if we don't bring these to God, our fears are just going to keep screaming at us. Our fears won't get silent just because we are silent. We need to bring them to God and hear Him speak peace to them. So again, I ask you, What are you most afraid of? Are you most afraid of not getting married if you're not married? Are you most afraid of staying married? And how's this going to work out if you are married? Are you afraid of the bank account that doesn't seem to have enough money to pay the bills? Or the health and the potential procedure and appointments coming up this week or the next week where you're like, I really don't know how that's going to turn out. What makes you sweat in the middle of the night? What occupies that 2 to 3 a.m. hour on Wednesday in the middle of the week 
when no one else is around. See, all of us have real fears, and our fears, they scream very loudly at us for a deep peace. And oftentimes, our fears are not just screaming for peace, but they're also screaming at us and telling us what we love and what we're looking to for peace. See, one pastor says this. I'm going to just read his words. Much more wise than I am. He says, Many of our worries are like misdirected love. That should be confessed. We need to bring them to God. We're trying to manage our world apart from God, making life about our needs, our desires, and I, our wants. I so want my kids to be healthy. I so want more money in my bank account. I so want to get married that if it's not going to happen, I'm going to fear as though God can't provide the what I need. I so want these things that I doubt that God can provide and will provide what I need. So what do your fears say you love? What what do your fears indicate you might cherish and look to, even potentially more than God himself? And so what do we do when we honestly confess our fears? Well, David gives himself the same command that I need to give myself, that you need to give yourself, and he does it right in the midst of confessing his fears. Listen to verse 3 and 4 one more time. He says... When you're flooded with fear, you fight it with faith in God's word. Verse 3. When I am afraid. Again, when, not if, when. (laughs) When I am afraid. We're human. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God. Not in the bank account. Not in the doctor's prognosis. Not in my children's behavior. In God. Whose word I praise. In God. I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Guys, the bridge from fear to faith is built on the tracks of God's word. Simply put, the bridge from fear to faith is built only on the tracks of God's word. You need to store up his promises. You need to go to the God whose word brings peace to every single one of your fears. The only way that you're going to expel worry from your heart is by turning to his word and savoring and storing it up. And so that's why David says, don't run to anything else. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. My question for you is, when I am afraid, ask this of yourself, when you are afraid, who or what do you put your trust in? When you are afraid, who or what do you put your trust in? On the inside of your bulletins this week, you will see a a special insert. P.S. Thank you, Barb, and the volunteers who um, put a smile on when I asked if we could do this (laughs) and put something else in there and put it together. I want you guys to be able to expel worry with God's word, not just right now, but throughout the week. So I've put together this guide to help you walk through some of the questions I'm asking you to store up God's word in your heart. First and foremost, asking the question, you'll see it on your handout, and I invite you to just answer it now. There's a fill in the blank. When I am afraid, I put my trust in blank. Turn that into confessing your fears to God, saying, God, I I am afraid of this, fill in the blank, and when I feel that fear, I tend to run to this, that, or the other. Help me to trust you instead of trusting anything else. Confess your fears to God. 
That's how we fight our fears. And then we go and we count on God and his word. So we confess our fears to God in verse 1 to 7. Now I invite you to jump back to the text. Look with me at verse 8 to 11. David says, confess your fears. And then second, count on God. Verse 8. You have kept counts of my... He's speaking to God again. You have kept count of my tossings. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust. Yes, that's an intentional refrain from verse 3 and 4. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? You guys ever been to like a really great concert? Like, like maybe you've been to one recently. There's a woman in our first service who goes to concerts all the time at the Marion Civic Center. You go and you hear your favorite band. And for some reason, some concerts just stand out in our memories. There, there are more encounters with the musicians than an event that you just sit and hear. My last year of college, my uh, roommate's parents were visiting in town for the weekend. And they said, you guys want to go to this concert in town? And we're dead broke. We're like, well, if you're paying for it, we would do. <laughs> and so we, they took us to our favorite venue, the Santa Barbara Bowl. This is the outdoor amphitheater where you could see the stars overhead. You could smell the salt water from the hill below. And we got to see one of our favorite musicians. And these parents were, quote, unquote, well off, well off, which is good news to dead broke college students. So they got us tickets in the fourth row. The fourth, I didn't even know people sat in the fourth row. And so here we are, fourth row, this beautiful night. I'm hearing our favorite songs, and it is way more an encounter with a musician than it is an event. I can see the dude's eyes. I can feel his sweat like pouring over me as the guitars are swinging and the drums are beaten. Like I can hear them talking to each other in between sets. It was this incredible encounter, not just an event. In verse 8 to 11, David likens hearing from God in his word to being like sitting at the front row of the concert of all eternity. David says when we go to God and his word, it's not just an event. It's not just a rote mechanism or behavior we take up. It's like this encounter with the living God who actually spoke this out, breathed out by God, inspired, perfect revelation of who he is through his word. And so the invitation in the midst of your deep fears is go to the concert. The front row seats open. Anytime you want to open God's word, he's willing to bring you that encounter, to speak peace to your deepest fears, even the ones that you don't want to tell anyone else. And so when we sit at this concert, what kind of songs do we hear? What kind of God are we encountering? Well, David says we hear a God who is compassionate and powerful. First song of this set, God is compassionate. Look at verse 8. You have kept, this is incredible, speaking to God. You have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? He's kept a count of every single one of your tossings. Every time you've rolled over sleepless 
those middle of the week, I don't know how the procedure, my kids or the bank account is going to turn out for good. He knows every single one of those. Every single one of those sleepless nights. And every single one of your, those tears that you've cried at a funeral or after a miscarriage or walking through an undesired divorce, well, guess what it says? He's put them in his bottle. This is a very personal God. The same God who created all things is the God who keeps this heavenly catalog. It's like the library of all the pain and the sorrow and the suffering of his people. And not a page of it has gone unturned by him. This is the proof of Psalm 46 verse 1. God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in our trouble. God is compassionate. Doesn't that bring deep peace to you amidst your fears? See, not only is God compassionate, but the second song of this wonderful concert is that God is powerful. Listen to verse 9. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. You know what I know? This is outlandish. David is in prison in a foreign land, and yet he is prophetically predicting victory with no assurance other than the promises that God has made to his people and the evidence of his past activity. His track record gives him hope for the future. He says, my enemies will turn back. That's like the, the army's going to be defeated no matter what. And he says, why? Because this I know that God is for me. Okay, this guy is either the most arrogant, bold, preposterous man ever, or he believes something, has encountered this God about whom he speaks. See, this is almost outlandish on the outset. If you're just checking church out, this probably sounds like the most arrogant thing anyone could ever say. God is for someone? God is for that person? How do I know God is for me, not just for David? Well, the only way that we can know that God is for each and every one of us personally is by depending on his son, whom he gave to be for us when we least were for him. See, God has this track record in all of Scripture of wanting to be with and always being for the good of his people. And he's done this in spite of the fact that his people have often not been about God, not been for him, and not wanted to be with him. See, we were made to know, love, and worship him. And yet so often we make our lives about our desires, our wants, and our needs, and we push God to the periphery, essentially saying, no thanks, God. I'd rather play the drums instead of go to your concert and let you sing your wonderful praises to me. And what this is, is misplaced worship. We've loved the wrong things, we've loved in the wrong way. And it's called sin. It's where we've missed the mark of what God made us to be like and do, to know, love, and worship Him. And the wages of our sin is death. This is more than just like a parking ticket offense. This is cosmic treason. We have offended God's holy nature, and in our unholy state, we can't be in his presence. And yet God is still for us and desires for us to be with him, so he provides what he demands. He gives his son, Jesus Christ, who comes to live sinlessly in our place. And then he comes to die sacrificially the death that you and I deserve, And then he rose from the dead three days later. God offers us his grace because Jesus stands in our place. 
We are offered God's grace as Jesus stands in our place. God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And it's only through faith in him that you can say, God is for me. Only through faith in him that you can say, God is for me. See, the compassion and the power of God is what you need and I need amidst the fears of this world. And we see the measure of God's love when we look to the cross. God shows his love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. But if that was the end of the story, why in the world would I ever say, my enemies will turn back? Why in the world would I ever say, my fears will have a sure end? That's not the end of the story. The measure of God's love is the cross. The measure of God's power is the empty tomb. The measure of God's immeasurably great power, according to Ephesians 1, is the empty tomb. Here's where the tragedy of Calvary became victory. The tragedy becomes victory after three days, where Jesus Christ, the one who had spikes drilled into, well, hammered into his wrists and his ankles to be put up on that cross for you and I, who had a crown of thorns with blood just coursing down his his whole body and gashes on his back. Here's where all of that was taken, all of our sin was put upon him. He died the death that we deserve. And then after being dead in the tomb for three days, and it looked like death was going to have the last word, well, God brought about new life. He brought about the light of the world. After three days, the stone on the tomb rolled back. Death was put to death. Jesus got up, he walked out, and the first words he said to his disciples when he walked through those walls and gathered with those scared guys in John chapter 20, what did he say? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. If ever there were a man whose words I needed to hear and would believe in the midst of fear, it's the Jesus who put death to death. It's the Jesus who is alive right now. Guys, the the tomb is empty and the throne is occupied. The one who said, peace be with you to those scared disciples is the same God who promises to be on your side and say, peace be with you in the hospital room. Peace be with you in the conference room when your boss is berating you. Peace be with you in the lonely living room where you and your spouse just can't seem to have a decent conversation without getting an argument. Peace be with you when you consider your kid's future and you have no idea what's going to happen. Peace be with you only matters because the one who says it has power over death. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Would you count on the Jesus who is alive? And the way that we count on him is by storing up his word. We remember his promises. Look at what David did in verse 10. And God, whose word I praise... In the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Guys, you got to go to the concert. You can't hear someone tell you about the concert and know what the musician is like. There's nothing that beats sitting at the front row. Jesus says in John chapter 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. If you've yet to place faith, if you've yet to come to Christ Jesus as, if, and place your faith in Him for the forgiveness of your sin and reconciliation to God, run to Him today. He is the only way to the Father. And if you have, sit at that concert every single day. God says in Psalm 138, verse 2, I've exalted above all things. What do you think? He says, my name and my word. I've exalted above all things my name and my word. We need to hear the word. The only way you expel worry is with the word of God. The only way you expel your present worries with the word of God. And so again, let's, I, I want to draw your attention back to that little insert in your bulletin. The insert in your bulletin, I've just put together a few of God's promises for the Christian to help you expel real worry with his living word this week. And if you're looking for a place to start, I suggest looking no further than Philippians chapter 4. It's a guide for our prayers in the midst of real fears. And I'm just going to jog your memory in case that's not in front of you. Some of those promises that God speaks to his people. When I am afraid, remember Philippians 4, 5 says, the Lord is at hand. Not far off. Not wondering what's going on. The Lord is at hand. When I am afraid, Philippians verse 4, 7 The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard, not might, but will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you are afraid, verse 9 says, the God of peace will be with you. When you have concerns, remember verse 19. My God will supply every need of yours. My goodness, it's pretty comprehensive. My God will supply every need of yours. And the riches, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So my question for you is this. Will you commit to going to the concert this week? Will you commit to spending time with God in his word? Not just as a rote activity. It's not just an event. It's an encounter. It's an encounter where you let the living God speak his living word into your real fears, into your real suffering. Will you commit to spending time with him? And second, will you commit to keeping a record of his promises to you, especially when you are afraid? If you are in Christ Jesus, every single one of his promises find their yes and amen in Christ. And so you can take these promises and know that God is for me because he gave his son to die for me. Go to the concert. Keep a log of the songs, spend time with him in his word, and store those up, especially when you're afraid. We confess our fears, we count on God in his word, and finally, we continue in faith. Let's begin to conclude our time in verse 12 to 13. We fight fear with faith in God's word, we've gone to the word, now we continue in faith. David again speaks to God. I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. That's way bigger than deliverance from Gath and King Achish. You have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling. Why? That I may walk before God in the light of life. All right, let's be honest. We're nearing the conclusion of Psalm 56. We're nearing re-entrance out into the big bad world in which many of our fears still remain. 
And so I'm sober-mindedly aware that we're not looking for the end to every single fear, every single suffering until Christ returns. 1 Peter 1 says, set your hope fully on the revelation of Jesus from the dead. And so we don't, like marathon runners, they're not looking for the finish line at mile 16. We're not looking for the finish line until he comes back. But we have this hope that he who has overcome the world, as it says in John 16, he will be with us. He speaks peace to us. And so we're invited to continue in faith, even amidst real fear. And David says the first way you do that is praise God. Sounds crazy, but in the midst of your fears, praise God. Verse 12, David says, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I need to keep these obligations to worship you, these oaths. I will render thank offerings to you. David's making this vow, this pledge to act, a thank offering, saying, I'm going to thank God, even when I am afraid. And it's because I know his grace is past, it's present, and it's future. Christ has come to live and die and be risen, and now he's ascended. But Christ has promised he's going to return. He's going to obliterate every fear, every suffering. And so I'm going to worship him. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to render thank offerings to him, even when I am afraid. And there's a, something happens to our hearts when we praise God in the midst of our fears. We become so overwhelmed with his goodness. It's like you go to that really great concert and you've never been to a concert before. You're like, this is awesome. <laughs> this is the best thing ever. And every time we encounter God, it's meant to overwhelm us with his goodness that we leave preoccupied with his purpose. So that's what David says next. We are overwhelmed with his goodness that we're preoccupied with his purpose. Yes, I praise him, but then he sends me out focused on his kingdom. Verse 13. You have delivered my soul from death, my feet from falling. He's like saying, I know you're going to do everything. It's as good as done. And here's the reason that I would walk before God in the light of life. David's in prison And yet he's not as much worried about his body as celebratory about his soul. I'm going to be delivered from death. And so the main point, the main goal of my life now is to walk with and for God. Walk with him in the light of life. This is the relational, ongoing hike saying, I want to find most joy in God and then orient my life around God's purposes. I've encountered this God who is so great that I want to tell others about him. See, something happens in our hearts when we are so overwhelmed with his goodness. There's no accident that Matthew chapter 6, that great passage on the Lord's Prayer, is followed up right after it with one of the greatest passages about God's peace, about seeking first the kingdom of God and knowing that all these things will be added to you. Don't be anxious about anything. Tomorrow has enough worries for itself. And yet it comes right after praying and speaking with God, remembering who he is. And so what David is reminding us here is to think often of eternity, to think often of how joyful it is to know God is on your side, that you have this future grace, that he will take care of all that you need, and to orient all of your days around that. 
This hit me so hard this week. I, as you know, anxiety is like the bread and butter of many pastors. <laughs> you wake up and it just oozes from your pores. Um, and so as I'm wrestling with this passage this week, I'm like, my goodness. It's hard for me to even hear this passage without thinking about the next to-do. And, and God just stopped me in my tracks, brought me back to Psalm 90, verse 12 again. Teach me to number my days aright that I would get a heart of wisdom. To remember that on the day of my funeral, I, I'm not going to care if I got every to-do done. I'm not going to care how much money was in the bank account. I'm not going to care what clothes I wore, much to my wife's chagrin. I'm not going to care about hardly anything except if I use my life to enjoy God and glorify Him. I'm not going to really care about anything except if I use my life to enjoy God and glorify Him, to spend time with Him, to, to pursue His mission with His people, to walk with God in the light of true life and the light of the world through faith in Christ Jesus. So my last two questions for you all is this. How can you praise God this week even when you're afraid? How can you praise God this week? And then finally, how is God calling you to focus on his kingdom instead of your kingdom? How can you pray? I know that sounds like the craziest thing to do when you're worried about your kingdom. How might he be redirecting you to focus on his kingdom instead? How can you praise God? And how can you pursue his kingdom instead of your kingdom? There is good news for the fearful heart. Christ has defeated the fear beneath every single one of our fears, death itself. And so today, my last words for you are fight fear with faith in God's word. Confess your fears to the living God. Count on the God who defeats death. And then continue in faith as you seek to enjoy and live for him in all of life. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to respond to this living God. We're going to respond to him in communion first. Then we're going to respond to him in song as we sing his praises. Let ourselves kind of sit at the concert and participate in the music that's going on. Be overwhelmed with his goodness so much so that we're ready to leave these doors preoccupied with his purposes. And then we're going to have a time of prayer for and with one another. So during those songs, um, during communion, if you want prayer for anything or everything, just come forward. I invite you to speak with me, speak with any of the elders. I invite you to talk to the person next to you and just say, Hey, I feel like God's leading me to confess this real fear I have. And I need you to speak some of those promises from his word to me right now. Would you just do that? That's all prayer needs to look like today. And ask that I would increasingly trust God, even in my fears. Let's pray, and let's respond to the God who speaks peace to our fears. Father, you are so good. Lord, we have nothing to say except thank you. We are so thankful for the fact that all of our fears find their death because Jesus has defeated death. And so, Lord, we trust that today Jesus is alive. He is reigning. That we are speaking to the God who has kept account of our tossings and put every single one of our tears in your bottle. 
We are speaking to the God who rose from the dead after three days. So we can say, through faith in Christ Jesus, this I know, God is for me. And who will I trust other than God? Lord, you are the God we look to. I ask in this moment, you'd help us to enjoy you, to depend on you, to confess our fears to you, and then find deep hope in the God who answers our fears. We ask you to do all of this for your son's glory. Amen.